0: Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week, I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, April 8, 2013. On this day in history, FDR's groundbreaking program, the Works Progress Administration, was approved by Congress. It helped launch many artists, including Jackson Pollock and Gwendolyn Knight. Thanks, FDR. Paul Hussey and Father Culture are trying to raise money for a new album. I spoke with Paul about the album and about his history with Father Culture. Let's give a listen. Welcome to the show, Paul.
1: It's nice to be here on your show. Thanks for having me.
0: Tell me about Father Culture.
1: I lived in Jamaica in the 90s for about nine years. And that's where I first met Father Culture. And um, I was working out there as a sound engineer and producer. We actually recorded a couple of tracks together back then. He's born and grew up in Kingston, Jamaica. He's the real deal. You know, he's a self-made man. I kind of like lost touch with him, but we kind of linked up again about maybe uh, two years ago or so when I went out there and we recorded System Hold the Poor Man Down. You know, that track kind of took a life
2: of its own. It's over
1: 60,000 views on YouTube, which is a lot for us.
0: Now, you and Father Culture have been apart for a while. Let's spin to the present. It's 2013. How long have you guys been apart?
1: Probably lost touch with him around about uh, 97, 98, around that time. And uh, we reconnected about two years ago, maybe 2010, 2011.
0: And what was that reunion like?
1: It was fantastic uh, seeing him.
0: So he's pretty well known in Jamaica?
1: He's been uh, an artist for a long time, but it's only now he's really starting to connect with people and get some good radio play and stuff like that in Jamaica.
0: Why do you believe in father culture so much?
1: He's speaking from the heart, you know. He's... He's not just saying any old thing that comes into his head. He, you know, he's speaking from personal experience. He really is, you know. And when he's singing about system hold the poor man down, he's felt that. You know, what I mean? he's really felt right. the system holding him down. He's a bit of a spokesman for sufferers, you know.
0: I see in your video you say that father culture is rich of soul, what did you mean by that?
1: He doesn't stress about money, he's quite happy, if you go and see him at his yard, he's not worried about the things that he doesn't have, as a lot of uh, Humour, good
2: vibes.
1: Well, I've been a sound engineer, pretty much all my adult life. Went on holiday to Jamaica. You know, I was always so into reggae when I was a teenager and everything else. So for me, it was like going to the Holy Land and um, I went on holiday there, the boss paid for me to go and I ended up staying there for nine years, you know. (laughs) You know, he's got a song called Telephone about uh his girlfriend or maybe his fictional girlfriend i don't know who's um, he's trying to get her on the phone
0: <laughs>
1: and he can't get through yeah because she's up she's up here she's down there and she's all over the place
0: He can't control that woman she's <laughs> all control. over the place <laughs> she's,
1: she's all over <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes.
0: I mean, I know technology and all, you can ship tracks back and forth and record that yeah. way, but I mean, how are you dealing with all this stuff? I mean, he being in Kingston, Jamaica, you being in Durban, South Africa, I mean, this whole migration thing back and forth, I know it's hard.
1: I send him a rhythm. Right. He'll voice it in his little studio, and then he'll send it back to me, and then I'll mix it. And, but the, some of the issues that we have are that he doesn't have a good quality microphone. Right. I mean, ideally, we should be in the same place, really, to work efficiently and properly. So, in actual fact, with the Kickstarter project that we're running, it could be one of three ways. Either he comes to Durban, or I go to Jamaica or we both stay where we are and just then we can afford for him to go to a nice studio and voice and we put on the right musicians, etc., etc. The preferred method would be for him to actually come to Durban because I have my own little studio here so we can do all the work, all the voicing in my studio and then maybe just go to another studio to mix. Another reason for doing this Kickstarter thing is to actually try and get CD sales because you see a lot of people, they go to, you know, watch the videos on YouTube and all the rest of it but they don't buy the music. Right. I think it's something that happens generally in music, but reggae music is even worse. So doing the Kickstarter thing and trying to get people to, you know, pledge to buy an album is also another way of just trying to generate some sales, you know what I mean?
0: Let's put it this way. So many other communities on Kickstarter use Kickstarter as a means of pre-ordering the product. So you should yeah. also, you just heard what Paul said, check out the video and pre-order the product.
1: <laughs> Give thanks, Give DJ thanks. Grandpa.
0: Paul, I wish you the best on your project on Kickstarter and thanks for coming on the crib.
1: Hey, DJ Grandpa, thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm Matey! Walk the plank with me and Mayday Games! Hey. 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 Welcome to the show, Seth. How are you doing?
3: Doing well. Good to be here.
0: When we first started to correspond, I thought you were in Utah.
3: That's where the president of the company is and uh, our employees. But I actually moved out to China about a year and a half ago to focus more on the manufacturing production and some Asian distribution. So I've been living here in in China for about a year and a half with my wife and three kids.
0: Could you tell me about your new action game, Walk the Plank?
3: Walk the Plank is uh, a game we saw last year at uh, Gen Con. And uh, the designers, Jared and Shane, they showed it to us. It's a fun little game where basically what you're doing is you've got a set of ten cards. You're choosing three of them to play. You put them face down in order so the starting player will turn his card over, resolve his or her action, and then the play passes to the left and just goes around. Then once everyone's played the first card, then everyone plays the second card in order and the third card. The neat thing about it is you're mostly hurting other players, trying to advance your own position because you're getting pushed off of a... A pirate ship, and if you fall into the water, you're out. But the fun part about it is that even though you're attacking other players, because you play your cards in this order, you may or may not be able to do what you thought you were going to be able to do. And your uh, your crew that you're in charge of, the three pirates that you have on board, are really stupid. So if you uh, put your third card, shove another player, and all you have when you get to your turn is your guys on that square, then you have to shove your own player. So the pirates are really dumb. Yeah. You may be trying to attack your friend half the time, it doesn't work out. And it just makes it really funny, and it's not as uh, as brutal of a game because there's no real direct attack. Half the time, you're just lucky if you get to hit anybody at all.
0: So you guys turn against each other in this game?
3: So everybody's trying to uh, push the other players off the plank, and the, the last one standing is the winner,
0: basically. We've spoken before, and you said that Mayday Games is a very small company. Correct. And that you're growing. Where do you see the majority of the growth coming from for your company?
3: The biggest part of it probably is Kickstarter. We've been able to do a lot with Kickstarter, and that's helped us a lot, to be able to launch products faster and to uh, have the cash flow to make all these new games.
0: Your literature says that since 2011, you've had roughly 14 Kickstarter campaigns?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think it's 13 or 14, yeah. Yeah. Our very first one was a game called Get Bit, which is about some pirates in the water getting chased by a shark. So the uh, Walk the Plank game is kind of a prequel of that game. Yeah, we've had... Quite a few Kickstarters. We've had all but one of them be successful. And uh, we've been really, really lucky that this, the support for the, our games has been pretty broad. So we've really been enjoying the success of that.
0: I've been told by other gamers that there's sort of a revolution going on in your industry and that they see so much of their sales coming from Germany. Is the same true for your company?
3: Not as much for us yet. But uh, if you look at uh, most years... Germany spends about three times as much on games as America does, but they only have about a third of our population. So the average person in Germany is spending nine times more per year on games, an American person. So there's definitely a lot of room for growth there. We haven't gotten a lot of our games there yet, but uh, we do go to the uh, German convention every year called uh, Spiel, which is in Essen in October, Essen, Germany. And uh, we do have a lot of sales over there. We've definitely got more there than we used to. But that's our next big push, is to get our games into wider distribution in Europe.
0: Now, roughly 14 games on Kickstarter since 2011. To me, that's a big deal. How do you keep coming up with the hits? How do you keep finding the talent to bring out new games?
3: Well, a lot of it is just that when we go to these conventions, we will take uh, game designers, put them aside, and play test their games. And it's kind of like being in a book publishing industry. If you're a publisher, everybody you know seems to have a book they've written. The same thing with board games. Well, there are a lot of people out there who've designed their own board game and they have this dream of getting their game out there and published. So what we do is we take a look at those games, play test them, and if we like them, we pick them up. People will submit new games. So us about every week we get some games to look at.
0: So you get to play new games all the time.
3: So basically I just get to go around the world with my family, set up booths and play board games. Yeah. There's worse things in life.
0: What would you like to say to your backers on Kickstarter?
3: The main thing is a very grateful thanks. We're just really excited that the backers have continued to support us. We have a lot of backers who seem to back every one of our projects. We get a lot of private emails thanking us for the the games we make. Most of our games are small, easy to play, simple to explain games that you can have a lot of fun with family and friends, and uh, we've just been really overwhelmed with the support that the uh, kickstarter community has given us
0: this game walk the plank you know pirates are always very exciting but this game in particular seems to be raising money very quickly on kickstarter for you guys
3: i think a lot of that has to do with the price point we're selling it at 18 dollars, delivered to your door in the u.s yes and uh, i think 23 to canada and 25 worldwide so the price is really low and then we're doing something some new things there too we're getting a lot of extra Kickstarter bonuses in there for those people who back us on the Kickstarter project that they won't be getting in the main game when we release it to wider distribution. Right. But I think a lot of those factors play into the fact that people are backing it faster than any of our other games before. And uh, I think Kickstarter in general is just being more and more well-known. So the, there's a, a larger audience there to look at your game, too.
0: Now, where are you at right now? It sounds like you're about to take a plane or something.
3: <laughs> I'm actually uh, on, a, on a run I was on a run around the, this lake here. It's a ten-mile run, and I'd forgotten that we were calling because of the time zone. It's only uh, about 10 a.m. here, so uh, there's just some traffic where I am.
0: <laughs> well, you make sure you look both ways before you cross the street, and yeah, yeah, you know all of that <laughs> stuff. You know? Yeah,
3: the traffic can be pretty crazy here in China sometimes. The town I live in is called Suzhou, China. Right. It's a town no one's ever heard of, but it's only got 6 million people in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a town? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Six a little town people. I live in. That's yep. a different world, man. A totally different world. I just wanted to say good luck to you and your company, Mayday Games. Thanks for coming on The Crib.
3: Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great night.
0: What episode of DJ Grandpa's Crib would be complete without a video game? Up next, the very funny Craig Stern, with his strategy RPG, Telepath Tactics. Hey, folks.
4: I'm Craig Stern. I'm here to tell you about Telepath Tactics, a game I've been working on for about two years now. Telepath Tactics is a turn-based tactics game with highly deterministic mechanics, a little bit like you see...
0: Craig Stern, welcome to the crib. Oh, thank you. I see that you are a very smart guy because I see that this is not the first time that you put this game out on Kickstarter. Correct. Right. So, what did you do differently this time than you didn't do last time?
4: First thing that was different this time is I already had 840 people who I knew wanted to back the game from the start. Right. And I was able to email them all immediately. And they had all already seen the pitch and they already knew what they were getting into. And they had already, uh, you know, taken the step of hitting that, that little backer button. And I was able at the start of the second campaign to just go back to the first campaign and post an update which sends an email to all of them and the update was hey i launched it again come back it again <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> i did other stuff other than that but i think that was by far the most uh, significant thing that i had going for me this time
0: it looks as though you're successful immediately from the start because of what you're very crafty man i like that
4: That was the thing that I thought was sort of silly after the first campaign. Everyone was like, oh, we feel so bad for you. You know, oh, it failed. It wasn't a success. It's like, no, actually, I found 840 people that want to give me money. Yeah, Like a Kickstarter campaign, it's not just about the money. Like, obviously it's about the money because you need to fund your project, but it's also a really good opportunity to get your name out there and get people to see your project and, you know, spread awareness of it. Like, I guarantee you, there's like an order of magnitude more people that knew about telepath tactics after the end of the first campaign than knew about it before I ran it. Yeah. And now that I'm running this other campaign, you know, that should be pretty obvious to everyone, right?
0: So you never took it as loser or anything. You actually learned from it and you put your best foot forward. I mean, that's something to be proud of, man. I mean, congratulations. I mean, you, you know, you let the dust settle and then you you know, you did a few things strategically, and now it looks like you're a total winner.
4: (laughs) Well, yeah, you could say that, I guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to be nice to you somehow.
4: (laughs) (laughs) There were other things I did differently. Like I, uh, I went for a smaller um, base goal this time. I, I sort of winnowed down the stuff that I wanted to raise money for for the game like the first time I was trying to raise $25,500 yes and this time I realized based largely on feedback from backers from the first time like there were certain things I needed to focus on and other things that I thought I needed that actually people didn't care about at all like the first time around I really wanted to get money to hire a professional sound designer to create a full set of original sound effects for the game. And that was going to cost like $12,000. And over the course of the campaign, I learned that a lot of people didn't care about that and they didn't want me spending $12,000 of backer money on that. So this time around, I was able to ask for a lot less.
0: I'm still seeing you are brilliant, man. Still seeing it. <laughs> From humble beginnings to brilliant. thats That's what I'm saying.
4: All right, all right.
0: What would you like to say to your backers?
4: As much as, like, you're pouring praise on me, all I did was make this campaign, send out a bunch of emails, and hope that people would like the game enough to actually back it. Uh, The backers are the people that are actually making it happen. All of you, thank you, because you are going to be ultimately responsible for me being able to make telepath tactics as awesome as I really
0: want to make it. Could you tell me a little bit about your game?
4: Uh, Telepath Tactics is what's called a strategy RPG. It's a certain subgenre of RPGs that people generally know like one or two examples of, unless they're really into it and then they know all of them. Like Fire Emblem Awakening, that's one that was really popular that just came out. That's a strategy RPG. Uh, Final Fantasy Tactics is another one. Uh, Disgaea is another one. Uh, Eternal Poison. There's like a million of them. But basically, the idea behind a strategy RPG is it's an RPG where the battles are spatial. They take place on a grid, kind of like a chessboard, almost. And you're moving your characters around the battlefield as part of the battle. It's not like Final Fantasy, where they're like lined up on one side of the screen, and you're just like selecting stuff from a menu. Like you're you're actually moving your characters around, and you know positioning is important.
0: Thank you very much, Craig Stern. You've contributed to my life, and you've contributed to The Crib. And I'm very happy that you, you know, when the dust settled from your first campaign, that you went back and you retooled, you reinvented, you know, sort of, kind of. And you came out a second time. Man, congratulations.
4: All right. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. Kid Shows, Lucky Charms, and Puppets. This interview with TC Dewitt has it all. Welcome to the show, dude. I'm happy to be here. Why do you like puppets so much? I can remember being
5: five years old, four years old, sitting in front of TV every day. You know, eating my bowl of uh, Lucky Charms and watching Grover and Telly and Big Bird, Mr. Snuffleupagus. You know, I even have an old notebook from when I was a toddler of drawings. I used to draw the Sesame Street characters while I was watching them.
0: That sounds like a sweet life. You know, eating Cheerios, <laughs> watching <laughs> the <Muppet Show. laughs>
5: yeah, I had it pretty easy back then. You know, I didn't have to head off to work quite at an early age.
0: I know, but you're still working with puppets.
5: <laughs> yeah, that's right It's <laughs> true, I've, I've come so far in my life <laughs>
0: Right, that's what I'm saying, it's like full circle We're not
5: breaking any new grounds in cinema here, nor are we claiming to but this is new ground for us We're following
0: in the footsteps of Jim Henson, Avenue Q, and other independently produced puppet features like Misfit Heights Could you tell us a little bit about your puppet musical Princess Night?
5: I've been making films for a few years now and um, Brian Brooks Cinematographer extraordinaire that I work with all the time, saying, man, it would be so much easier to make a movie if we didn't have to worry about actors and scheduling. <laughs> yes. He got it in his head, let's go full on puppets here, then we don't have to worry about actors. And uh, we had The Princess Knight done. You know, it lended itself well to puppets because it's very much inspired by classic Disney films like Sleeping Beauty or Sword in the Stone. And so that kind of is what got the ball rolling there.
0: So that's only been like a couple of years that you've started in the world of puppets, and it was just because you wanted to, you know, make it easy on you as far as scheduling <laughs> and actors and stuff, union rules and stuff like that?
5: Puppets have always been something that I've enjoyed because there's an art to bringing a puppet to life so much so that people don't look at you, they look at the puppet, and any right. successful puppet becomes a full-on being itself.
0: I watched your trailer and I was in total believement, you know. I like cartoons and stuff, so I totally believe they were alive, you know.
5: And that's a credit to our puppeteers and our voice actors. It's it's a fun collaboration just to bring one entity to life and really make them a living and breathing thing.
0: Now, Mr. DeWitt, I have a question. Is it more complicated to work with puppets than real people or vice versa?
5: It is much more complicated because you have to frame out the puppeteer. You know, if you can't see someone's head bobbing around underneath the puppet. Oh, yeah. Again, trying to create that illusion that they are a real being.
4: Hello. What do
2: you do, friend?
0: Little man. I am the giant that terrorizes the woods beyond the only bridge into this horrid and putrid land. The bridge you yourself guard. I trump heavily through the force. The Baron cursed her into believing she's a giant. And all who Just play along. Gigantic oh. Feet. Roar! My wife, she likes your reward category that talks about Lord and Lady. That's the Lord and Lady package. Yeah, could you explain that to our listeners a little bit?
5: You know, you look at Kickstarter, sometimes there's some really great rewards for, like, the artwork projects. Oh, you get an original copy of the book when it's finished. Some films have, oh, you can get a producer credit. But we felt we didn't want people to just by the title producer. We wanted to find a, a different way to encourage people to become a part of this project so that they could physically and literally become a part of this project. So we have the Lord and Lady package, which offers up a cameo in the film as a puppet. If you donate to the project, if you uh, feel like, hey, this is something I want to get behind, we will create a puppet version of yourself to be in the picture as a character with lines.
0: So all they would have to do is come to Madison, Wisconsin, and, and they can, you know, join in on the festivities. That's cool, man. Maybe my wife will do that or something like that. That'll probably,
5: that'll be cool. <laughs> We'd be happy to have her. We need to stand up for ourselves. We need to rise up, and as one voice, tell him, we are not going to stand for this treatment any longer.
0: Yeah! Here, here.
5: The message of the Princess Knight is a positive message about believing in dreams, and that's settling. A lot of people I've known in my life have kind of just coasted and then settled with where they are and always talk about how, oh, you know, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have gone further. I wish I would have chased after this dream or that. And being an uncle to 10 nieces and nephews total and Uh also being a teacher and whatnot, it's important for me to instill into the youth that you can dream big and you can go after these dreams. So to my backers, i say, and to potential backers, i say that, you're not just supporting an independently produced film. You're supporting a, a great message. And that's really what The Princess Knight is about at its heart.
0: Mr. DeWitt, thank you very much for coming on the show and giving me an insight into how puppet films are made. Thanks for the help. <laughs> the sleepless night
2: I cry for you and
1: what
0: Welcome to the show. I'm talking with half of the Chapin Sisters, or maybe some people would say a third of the Chapin Sisters. They have a new album coming out. It's called The Chapin Sisters, A Date with the Everly Brothers, in which they cover some of the Everly Brothers' greatest hits. Welcome to the show, Lily.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Why this iconic group, the Everly Brothers? You
2: know, Bob Dylan said on the back of this... Everly Brothers' biography that that Abigail and I were, were reading, there's a quote from Bob Dylan, and he's like, these guys started it all. Like, we would be nothing without them. Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, hugely influenced by the Everly Brothers. You know, the Beatles couldn't really exist without the Everly Brothers. These were the guys who were kind of at the crux of that transition from country and folk music and sort of old-time crooner pop music to rock and roll. And there was Elvis on the one hand, and on the other hand there was the Everly Brothers, and the idea of using harmony in that way in a pop song.
0: What did you learn in synopsis from listening to the Everly brothers to prepare for this album?
2: So you had mentioned that you were speaking with either half or the one third of the Chapin sisters, and right. uh, that is a good point. We used to be a trio, and now we are a duo. So our sister Jessica is not currently performing with us or recording with us, although she occasionally does fit in. So we have been steeped in three-part harmony throughout our whole lives, and It's a real art, there's a real craft to it, and you can look back to the Andrews sisters, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, so many different groups, all the girl groups. With the three-part harmony, you are constantly thinking in terms of threes, so there's so much available to you when you're arranging, because you have three notes at any given moment that you can use in a chord. And the reason that we were so excited to learn these Everly Brothers songs is because we wanted to retrain our brains towards two-part harmony. And Abigail and I had been already touring and performing for a couple of years as a duo. And doing duets was something that we were practicing all the time and writing our own duets and writing our own arrangements. Yes. But the Everly Brothers are the masters of this, and it was just such a pleasure to live in their songs and think about the choices that they made and the fact that in any given moment they chose two notes out of a three or a four note chord then you never miss what they've left out
0: why Kickstarter?
2: we've never done a Kickstarter before we've given money to other people's Kickstarters and kind of been aware of them but I've seen bands more and more using this tool yes. to do this and it seems to have a really honest and kind of we're not asking anybody to give more than they can or than they want to it, so it's this very voluntary exchange and we're trying to give people things that they couldn't get otherwise, you know, really personal things like handcrafting CD covers and, you know, we used to do that stuff anyway, but they'd only be available at our shows and, you know only the people who happen to be at that show can have that really personal exchange so I think that's one of the really amazing things about this, is like, you know, every time we get a new pledge, we see the name of the person, and we can write them a note, and suddenly you're like having this very clear interface.
0: I just didn't know that you actually saw the name of the person who pledges. That's cool. You
2: do. It's really wonderful. I mean, some people, you know, put some other, they just put their email address, or they'll just put their first name or something, but most people are pretty transparent about who they are, and... You know, people come out of the woodwork that you haven't talked to in a while, friends, colleagues, people who you've worked with, people who you've known forever, and then total strangers, and people who you've seen at shows, you know, fans, all different types of people. It's very community building. I just feel overwhelmed, humbled, honored, and, you know, completely awed by people's generosity and willingness to actually pay for music, which is something that has become kind of a free commodity in our society.
0: Before I say goodbye, I have one weirdo question, and it's only weird because you have a theremin on the album, and I love theremin. (laughs) Are you gonna have one on tour?
2: I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. The theremin on our record, it's one man playing the theremin, and he plays it in harmony with itself. So a theremin has like a high-pitched single frequency note, right. and he makes the theremin sound like a pedal steel wow. by playing it in harmony with itself. So we'd have to have like four theremin players, <laughs> <laughs> okay, and it would just be for one song. You never know, but yeah, I don't, I just think that would be really hard.
0: Only if it goes number one in the country.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's an incentive right there for people to,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: we should have made that a pledge, the theremin pledge. Yeah, the theremin Maybe thing. we'll add it.
0: Okay. Well, that's a good idea. I'd like to say thank you for coming on the show and tell your sister good luck, both of you, with the album, or all three. I, I get confused, all three. She, The other one's coming back sooner or later, probably, so just, just tell the family. Well, home. she's
2: our sister in life still, so <laughs> she's watching the Kickstarter campaign, too, and she actually pledged. She's a sweetheart.
0: Thank you very much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you so much. We really appreciate it.
0: I spoke with Phil and Ricky from Nice Laundry and let me tell you it's all about the socks expressive, familiar,
5: well made knowing that you'll pick up a compliment or two there's just something to be said about that one go-to pair of socks and when you have a drawer
0: full of them Awesome. Welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you very much. Nice laundry. A fresh start to your sock drawer. Congratulations.
5: Thank you very much. We've been very enthused and kind of blown away by the support that everyone in our community and kind of a larger community around Kickstarter on the uh, internet
0: has shown us so far. Did you guys put so much work into the pre-launch that it was just a breeze for you to raise that money in 10 days? A lot
5: of people... View Kickstarter as a, if you build it, they will come kind of thing right. that cannot be further from the truth. We definitely put some work into the launch. When it came down to choosing how do we spend, you know, this next few hours, that chunk of time, I mean, we're deciding between do we kind of line up, you know, all of our contacts and saturate our network and make sure they know about it, or do we focus on the messaging and the story of the brand? So when someone reads it, they understand it immediately. Right. A lot of people have been messaging us saying, I've never really thought about my relationship with my soccer, but after reading your campaign, like I realized it was terrible and I really wanted a fresh start.
0: Now, I think you guys are kind of mavericks in a way because I would have never thought of quitting my job to start a sock company.
5: Well, thank you. (laughs) And when you put it like that, it does feel a little bit crazy. Yes. But at the same time, I think Ricky and I have been really passionate about this for quite a while. In fact, that's how we met at uh, Living Social. We were working together in D.C. This was probably over a year and a half ago now. I would always come to work wearing these uh, boring blacks and grays, or as Ricky would like to think, they were ratty white Adidas gym socks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I was the furthest thing from a sock guy when I met Ricky. A big experience for me was when he finally convinced me to buy that one first cool pair of socks. And I still remember buying it and wearing it the next day, and it was incredible. All of a sudden, I had that go-to pair of socks in my sock drawer. It felt nice to put them on, but most of all, I got a lot of compliments at work. And then I got home, and, and I threw them into the hamper and realized that, hey, I'm back to my old, you know, boring socks. Right. So I spent, like, weeks trying to upgrade my sock drawer, scouring all the flash sale sites trying to find my favorite patterns and it just took way too much time and cost literally hundreds of dollars. So that's really what what kind of inspired us. We had that moment where we looked at each other and we're like, this is obviously really broken and uh, let's do something about it.
0: Do either of you have a background in fashion?
5: This is Ricky again. Out of college, I started a fashion company. I actually started before I, I left school We made things like polo shirts and button downs and shorts and things like that. So I've had some experience both on the international production side and on the technical design and fabric sourcing and and pattern making side as well.
0: DJ Grandpa gets kind of annoyed when I go to the store, I go online, mostly online, and socks seem to cost an arm and a leg for, you know, for lack of a better phrase or something. So you guys are saying that your socks are reasonably priced and stylish. Correct. Could you give me some sort of comparison, maybe?
5: This is Phil. So what I found out in a pretty painful way that these socks are going for about $12 to $40 a pair, which is absolutely insane. And most of that markup is because it is sold at retail So there's like a middleman involved, which dramatically increases price. And the second biggest factor is the brand itself and all the marketing and PR and all that jazz that they have to support with it. So we effectively remove those two biggest kind of cost drivers that consumers feel. So we're literally working directly with the factories and selling directly to the consumers. So there's no middleman and it's literally a lean and mean operation. It's, it's Ricky and I working as hard as we can, keeping our heads down, being as smart as we can about any little money we spend to make this a reality.
0: I checked out your video several times and the socks look pretty nice on both of you. Um, Yeah, so you, you guys did a great job there. There's a specific part of your company that I really like where you talk about giving your old socks a new home or a retirement home. You talk about recycling. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. This
5: is Ricky. So we've always been interested in this idea of conscious consumption. Textile waste is a big problem in the United States. It's something that does not receive a lot of press, but there's 21 billion pounds of textile waste. So that's T-shirts and shoes and socks and jackets just thrown out every year on track to hit $39 by the year 2019. So we really wanted to do our part to get that number down to zero. And we're knocking out two birds with one stone. Not only are we eliminating textile waste, but also we are sending necessary supplies, such as socks, to areas of need. And also, depending on the condition of the socks, recycling them into really cool things like home insulation. You might even have some insulation in your home that's made from recycled socks.
0: What would you like to say to your backers?
5: It's really amazing that you guys can kind of sit down and work on something that they're very passionate about and have the general public kind of receive it, believe in our idea, invest their hard-armed money into this vision that we have. And it's yes. just been incredible to see all of the comments and emails. Like, If you guys are listening, tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us, email us. Call us, do whatever you have to do. We want to hear from you guys. Yeah, and this is so all I have to add is I'm so excited that we're kind of all in this together and we're building something really cool together from day one. And that is a fundamental like shift in the way things are being done. So I'm just extremely appreciative and really excited to see what we can do in the future.
0: I really appreciate that you young guys have stepped out there picked up the mantle, started a new company, and are helping men and soon-to-be women, sooner or later, once you get the capital, you know, all that stuff, revolutionize their sock drawers. Thanks for coming on The Crib, gentlemen.
5: Awesome. Thank you very much. Big shout-out, big props to uh, you, DJ Grandpa.
0: What if
4: a shirt could change according to your workout, could show you how hard you were working each muscle,
0: could give you an experience tailored to your unique biochemistry, Your body's accelerated thermal output in real time. Starting with MRI
4: technology, we integrated blood flow and metabolism with advanced thermal imaging. Welcome back to
0: DJ Grandpa's Crib. I'd like to introduce you to Ken Crockett. He's the CEO and owner of Radiate Athletics. They have a special shirt on Kickstarter right now. They're basically calling it the future of sports apparel. Ken, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you. I know that you guys are very busy because I see you doing interviews and social media all over the place right now while your Kickstarter campaign is going on. Why don't you tell me about your Space Age shirt?
6: It uses thermochromic technology, actually specifically engineered thermochromic technology to essentially measure body temperature as you're working out, before you're working out, and at the tail end of your workout. So no matter if you're running... If you're lifting weights or if you're participating in any athletic activity, it essentially will let you know just how hard each muscle and each muscle group is exerting itself and if you're burning calories.
0: I believe you use words like revolutionary product. Is this the only product of its type on the market or soon to be on the market?
6: Not only is it the only type, it's actually the first type. Some people make a suits, t-shirts that are made back in the 80s, called Hypercolors, and essentially yes. that was is, is as soon as you touched the shirt it would change it was for an aesthetic purpose this is engineered to a higher temperature change we pretty much took years of working out testing your skin temperature testing your core body temperature
0: i just wanted to say congratulations to your company radiate athletics you've reached your minimum funding how long did it take you to achieve minimum funding?
6: It took 30 hours. And with that, we also have online sales to our website.
0: What's the hardest part of this whole crowdfunding campaign? for you? Uh,
6: <laughs> The toughest part about crowdfunding is actually, it's the most exciting part too. is it, interacting with your customer base. Um, you're pretty much educating them on something you know that they've never seen before. And it's very difficult to do that in words and explain pledges. And also manage orders, you know, all at the same time. Because it is really, you know, myself and my other business partner, like we're pretty much putting, you know, you know, all the phone calls and not just for Kickstarter related projects, you know, it's media and also bulk orders. We've had, you know, numerous people from various countries around the world who want to be the first to bring radiate technology and radiate sports apparel to their country.
0: How did this product? happened. How did it come about?
6: It's kind of funny. So I have a younger brother and he came home from college and I, and I saw him and you know he was built really nice and he was actually more muscular than I was at the time. You know, I'm, I'm five years older and there's no way I'm gonna let him be, be more muscular than me. You know, I can't let this happen. He gave me his workout regimen and I really started going to gym five days a week so I can, you know, catch up to him. And then on that workout, I was realized, you know, some days I was tired. Some days, you know, I had more energy. I was wondering, you know, if it, is it just me working out harder the day before or am I working out harder today? So I figured, you know, if there's a way to see, you know, other than just gaining size, there's a way you, you can really, like, track progress. And then I looked into, yeah. okay, well, just that measures at your body temperature. I know, you know, as you start to burn energy and start to create energy, you know, there's heat generated in your muscles. So then I looked into that, I realized there's nothing in the marketplace. So then I basically set out to develop something. And then that's how I came across Radiate. And I started with thermochromic technology, and I realized that, you know, the temperature range I wanted, consulted several scientists. And about three years later, I'm pretty much here. It was definitely worth it.
0: So basically, you're telling me that your competition with your little brother, you couldn't stand seeing him being more buff than you. <laughs> so you go out and create a company.
6: I guess you can call me highly competitive. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a family trait? Even as a kid, you know, run up like the stairs. And see You can grab something upstairs first when we're battling up the way up the stairs.
0: So I'm glad I'm not in your office right now because I, <laughs> I don't want you to see my physique, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go there. Okay. Well, another story then. You're talking about this three-year period and you being a competitive person and you producing for the world something that they did not ask for in advance. Mm-hmm. Did you have a lot of detractors along the way? Uh, I
6: guess I would say yes and also no. You know, there's also people who are like, oh, I don't know, you know, like, you know, why you would need that in the marketplace, you know, you know, is it necessary? You're going to... Spend all this time doing this, you know, you can get a job, you can have a salary. But me, I'm the kind of person that if I believe in something, if I'm going to do it full time, I don't want to do like anything else. So I didn't work for 9 to 5. I pretty much just said, you know, I'm going to take out some loans. You know, I was just finishing up graduate school. So I said, you know, I'm going to put everything I have into making this product perfect. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say it was easy.
0: Wow. You went for broke and it all yeah, oh Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs>
6: wow. Definitely. What
0: would you like to say to your backers? Well, first and foremost, thank
6: you. It's one of those things like you see a product, you don't know if it truly works until you wear it. So I'm definitely thankful that the Kickstarter community and our backers, that they trust us. I'm glad that they support
0: us. Last statement. On my behalf, I saw a sea turtle in your video. I love sea turtles, so definitely you put that little green touch in (laughs) there. Very shrewd. I like that. Um and I just wanted to say thanks for coming on the show. I'm talking to Ken Crockett, owner CEO of Radiate Athletics. They have a Kickstarter going on right now that's doing very well, but it is a very interesting product. So You should check it out. Go to kickstarter.com and type in Radiate Athletics. If you can't find it there, go to djgrandpa.com and we'll have links. Thanks for coming on the show, Ken. Thanks a
6: lot.
2: creating new sounds, disembodied voices, music from instruments that don't exist. This is the power of electricity.
0: Buchla's a freaking genius. I had no idea. Check out my interview with Greg Sharpen of Clarity Films about the Buchla documentary. He's an inventor
7: of all kinds of things, but he's probably best known as an instrument maker and inventor of synthesizers, and basically made one of the very, very first synthesizers back in the 1960s, and has basically kind of been forgotten about. There's not very many people who know about him, and the stuff that he was working on, the stuff that he did, has basically changed the way music has been composed and listened to and performed, and he's one of those people who was there at the tipping point and tipped music into a completely new arena, and nobody knows about him. So... I decided to try and correct that mistake a little bit.
0: Were you inspired by this man?
7: Absolutely. I'm a musician, but I do kind of a stranger side of music. And it was kind of humbling to realize that a lot of the stuff that I do kind of had its origins. And he was doing some of that kind of stuff before me, and I didn't even know about it.
0: You know, I also sample and reconstruct music and, you know, synthesizers a little bit. And so... I guess I have a lot to owe to Don Buchla that I didn't even know yeah. about as far as history. So
7: He's somebody who is basically was trying to do something very new, trying to basically re recreate the idea of music, to take music into a completely new arena, and he basically succeeded. And his machines, they changed the sound of the century in a way.
0: Did you have any preconceived ideas about the man before meeting him?
7: Uh, I... Didn't He is actually very unassuming and very humble and kind of tries to downplay, I think, his own role in history. Yes.
1: Which I think is also one of the
7: reasons that very few people know about him or know who he is, because he's not somebody who trumpets his achievements from the mountaintops. He just very quietly and steadily does his work and does these amazing, outstanding things, then thinks, oh, that's fine, and then doesn't talk about it.
0: But I didn't know anything about electronics. Zero.
3: I didn't know a transistor from a resistor from, a, from an egg, you know, so we put an ad in the paper to get some engineer here and work with us because we were, we were floundering with this idea. Don was actually coming up to use our three-track tape recorder, but I thought he was answering the ad so I gave him this big spiel about this thing and um, he said, well, I can do that. <laughs>
4: And so Don designed his booklet machine, booklet box.
7: We interviewed Morton Subotnick. He actually commissioned the booklet in a way. He was working at a place called the San Francisco Tape Music Center right. uh, in the 60s and wanted to find a new way to do music. And Don showed up at their doorstep to come in and use their tape recorder. And Morton kind of jumped on him and had this, had all these ideas and. Bukla said, "Well, I can do that, sure." <laughs> and Went away and came back and had made this thing. And so uh, we've talked with Morton Subotnick about that, and we've filmed a couple of performances. Morton Subotnick also performed at the Museum of Modern Art here, and we've filmed him. Yeah, uh, and just today we've got some tapes from an old friend of Don's. Who met him at his 40th birthday party, the, the friend's 40th birthday party? Right. And he had met a, a friend of his and he said, I'm having my birthday party. Bring along your favorite noisemaker, thinking that the person would bring along a guitar or something. And this friend brought Don Bukla instead as their favorite noisemaker. <laughs>
0: What would you like to say to the backers who have backed this project so far?
7: I would like to thank them enormously. Uh, One of the things that we've encountered, it's right there actually at the very head of the, the Kickstarter, is that people either think this is a fantastic, wonderful idea and why hasn't anyone done a film about Don before? And he's such a genius and it's about time. Or people haven't heard of him. But the people who have heard about him, there's just this infectious enthusiasm about this man and about his place in history and especially people who have known him for a long time there's a fierce fierce loyalty to him and you know people just absolutely love the guy and of yeah. encountering that that response is really really gratifying and everyone who's donated so far is reinforcing that sense that we're doing
0: something right the bukla. Doc when I first watched it about a week or so ago was pretty incredible to me. And just to see, you know, that contraption that he had built with all the wires and metal and all of that, I don't know what the name of it is, but it's incredible to see just genius at work, man. Uh, I mean, I'm always in awe. I'm in awe of musical genius, period, but he's kind of something different. It's electronics, physics, along with music.
7: I think that's one of the things that makes him so rare. He is an engineer and he is a philosopher and he is a musician and he has this great theatrical sense he's really somebody who combines all of these things into one package which is really exciting
0: gregory Sharpin, i'd like to say thanks for coming on the show and good luck with your kickstarter program
2: great thank you so much for having us on
3: people say things about Uba. he's grumpy he's shy He's aggressive, he's autistic. To me, he is an exotic flower.
0: I'd like to thank all our guests this week, and a special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams for contributing the theme song to DJ Grandpa's Crip. I'd also like to thank Theron Kennedy, our new director of marketing. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of
6: this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus.